Praise the Lord. It's a special day at Word of Victory. We are always grateful and thankful for those that have made a commitment to join the family of God. And I, I just want to say this to those of you that are already of the family of God, that um, we don't tell you everything we know and feel about you, but no, we carry you in our heart. We carry you in our heart, you know, and um, sometimes we know more about what's going in your life than we talk to you about. We know when you're hurting. We know when you're in a struggle. We know when you're in a battle. We know when you're in a fight. But know this, when whatever we know about, we're praying about. Amen. So we are so grateful for each and every one of you. And today it seemed like an appropriate thing for us to take communion together. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29, and it tells us about taking the communion table, and it said that we are to be discerning of the Lord's body. And when we take communion, we're supposed to be discerning of the Lord's body. Now, I want to challenge you a bit today because many times um, uh, when we're talking about the Lord's body, we're thinking about Jesus. But I want you to know, in the word of God, when it got past the crucifixion and the resurrection and it went on to the ascension, when it's referring to the Lord's body, it's not referring to a physical body of Jesus. It's instead referring to a grouping of people that are so knit together that they act like they are a part of Jesus himself. All right? So we have lots and lots of scriptures today. Are you ready back there? We have lots of scriptures today because I felt like today what we're going to do is we're going to let the word do the preaching today. We're going to let the word do the preaching. So if we can, we're going to start out with some understanding of the fact you are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. And without you, he does not have a complete body. All right? So first, we're going to go to Romans chapter 12. It says, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You, as a person, have arms, legs, eyes, ears, and Jesus' body is the same, meaning not every member looks the same. Your foot does not look like your nose. Praise the Lord. <laughs> right? So we don't all look the same, but we have to understand that when any part of your physical body is not working right, there is a shutdown for the entire body. Okay? Going on to 1 Corinthians 12, 27. And here it says, now you are the body of Christ. You and I are indeed the body of Christ. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you cannot escape the fact that you are destined to be a part of a body. And members individually, meaning this, you are an individual, but you are called to a corporate unity. Amen. Colossians 1.24 says this, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ 
for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now it becomes clear to us. His body is the church. So this doesn't mean tolerance of the world as if they're a part of the body. No, this is a specific body. The body of Christ is the church. Amen? All right? Going on to Colossians 2.19 then. Not holding fast to the head. And I know I'm coming in the middle. But hey, people, it's 10 after 11 already. All right? And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So what we have to understand, he is the head, he is the head, and we all have to be connected to the head. We all have to be connected to the head because when we are connected to the head, the body is nourished and knit together. The interesting thing about this word nourished, you think the word nourished just means to be fed. You know, you ate your breakfast this morning and got nourished, right? But this word nourished is used other places in Scripture to be abundantly supplied. So it means to supply fully or abundantly, generously provide what is needed, but it means to cover the cost completely. So if we will hold fast to the head, the body will, uh, that's drawing from the head has the covering of the cost completely. I mean, there's no expense to you as a member individually if we're all drawing from the head. There is no expense to you personally if we were all drawing from the head as one body. And then it says, and knit together or united together. It literally means to be unite in affection. If we are united or knit by affection, by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So that tells me this, that if there is a breakdown of body to head or body to body, member to member, then the growth stops. Then the growth stops. We need to understand and see the value and relevance that the body of Christ is in the church. And our job is to continually spread the gospel that the increase that could come from God happens in the earth. But a church that's not knit together cannot have that increase working. The church that is not knit together won't have that increase working. The church that is only about members and not about uniting does not provide a place for growth and increase from God. Are you catching what I'm saying? Okay. So we need to see this. Now, this is what I know the Spirit of the Lord wants us to do today. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 17. God's going to help us with this today, isn't he? Hallelujah. John chapter 17. 
is a recorded prayer that we have from Jesus himself. John chapter 17. We have many times in the word of God and Jesus went up to the hill to pray or Jesus went into the mountains to pray or Jesus prayed all night. And then we see where he taught the disciples to pray. But this is the only place that we have word for word what Jesus prayed. Now, I'll also understand this. This is coming to the end of his life on the earth. Okay? So this is coming to the end. Now, think about this. If you know, knew you only had a day or two left in the earth, and, they, and God came to you and said, now pray, it would have an effect on what you pray. For some reason, pray about, oh, and get me new tires on my car, goes away, right? You'd be thinking about the people you loved, the people you cared about, what's going to happen to them after I'm gone, you know, you'd be thinking all kinds of things. Suddenly, in that time, if you had just a few short hours, your priorities would be, would be all cleaned up. You know, your passion would be perfectly in place. Your sincerity would be completely in order. Are, are you agreeing with me on that? Right? Okay, so let's think about that as we read through this prayer that Jesus prayed. He's coming to the end. And this is what he says in verse 1. First off, he starts praying about the work that's before him. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He goes on now and says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received and have known surely that I came forth from you and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but I pray for those whom you have given me, for they are yours and all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world and I come to you, Holy Father, Keep through your name 
those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Then he shifts again. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I've given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them just as you've loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Hallelujah. That was Jesus' prayer. Now, if we're going to take away some things for this, first off, we're going to see he prayed for himself that the glory would remain on him to be able to go through what he was about to go through, that the people would see the glory of God on him. Then he shifts and he prays about his apostles, those that have walked with him. And he prays that they would understand that they're not of the world, that they're set apart from the world, that they're different from the world. But he didn't pray to take them out of the world. But what he was praying is in the midst of being in the world, they could be kept. Okay? And then he shifts again and begins to pray for the people that would believe through the words that they would say, which if you follow it from generation to generation, comes down to you and me. So from verse 20 to 26 is in particular the prayer Jesus prayed for you. 
So if we look at this, there's some key elements in what Jesus prayed for us. First of all, I want to mention that he wants us to understand that we are loved by the Father as much as Jesus was loved by the Father. Even as Jesus was loved by the Father, we are loved that much by the Father. Now, he didn't qualify that based on our shortcomings or weaknesses. He didn't say we would ever become disqualified from that love. But how many of you know the enemy doesn't want us to believe that? Because we look at ourselves and see frailties, weaknesses, um, you know, things that have fallen apart, things that would probably grieve God. But those things don't qual- disqualify us from the love of God. But the other thing he said in here, in these last scriptures, is in particular, he wants us to be one. He wants us to be one. And the way we could be one is that we would all be connected by being in him. By being in him. And he says this in verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So obviously, the unity of the church is a telling to the world about the validity of Jesus. The unity of the church makes proof and evidence that Jesus really came and did exactly what he said he was going to do. So that tells me if there's division in the church, the validity of the gospel message is threatened. When there's division in the church, that means the validity of the gospel message is threatened. Are you with me on this? Okay. Now, um, we have to understand that his body is his representation. It is his entity in the earth. And his prayer was heartfelt and earnest because he knows the power of unity. How many of you remember the story back in Genesis 11 of the Tower of Babel? Remember, the people decided they were going to build a tower all the way to heaven. You know, they were going to do this. It was not the right thing to do. Okay? But in verse 6, do you have Genesis eleven six? 6? The Lord says, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do? Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Look at the power that God sees in people being one. Nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. We've seen this from time to time coming out of the camp of darkness. They're able to shift and move things, not because they're right, not because they have more money, not because they have a particular agenda, but because they're united. 
So we need to understand that our unity could put us on the pathway that anything we propose to do will not be withheld from us. Hallelujah. So we can understand this. The body of Christ is only as effective as its unity. All right? So with that being said, I want to go to a few more scriptures. We're going to go over to Romans 15. Hallelujah. It does you good from time to time to read that prayer that Jesus prayed because it puts you back on what his priority priorities are in the earth. Because we can get so scattered. We can get so scattered. We can get so distracted of the plan and the purposes of God. It's always good to see what was in his prayer life. Okay? I want to see, see this here in Romans 15. It says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Ooh that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ all received, also received us to the glory of God. He's given a warning here. And he's telling you that it's going to take patience and comfort for you to be like-minded toward everybody you have to receive. Because you, in the body of Christ, have a commission to receive others in the body of Christ. It is a mandate to receive others and that we can come to the place of one mind and one mouth. It's a harmony that leads to action. So I want to look at this in the passion Verse 5 and 6, do we have that in the Passion Translation? Now may God, the source, look at, look at how he qualifies this. The source of great endurance and comfort grace you with unity among yourselves, which flows from your relationship with Jesus, the Anointed One. Then with a unanimous rush of passion, you will with one voice glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that. A unanimous rush of passion. See, what God is interested in is what can the body of Christ accomplish for the head while it's existing on the earth? What can it accomplish? We get so entrenched in me, myself, and I that we are forgetful that we are a part of a bigger picture and that our commands need to come out of the head. Can you go back in the passion, go back to the verse 5. The source of great endurance. Now, why do you think he said that? Why do you think? He said the source of great endurance because it's going to take endurance. <laughs> it's going to take endurance because we don't all have the same personality. God rejoices over it. We don't all look the same. 
God rejoices over that. We don't even all think the same, and God rejoices over that. Because if we can put a bunch of heads together, we might get a thought of God. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? God is looking for a unity because he wants this unanimous passion to come out. Amen? Hallelujah. And Matthew 22, um, verse 36 and 4, and they asked, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Next verse, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Last verse, on these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. Understand this, all the law and prophets were trying to get all of us for two things. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. That's what all the law and prophets is trying to do. Get you to love God, love people. Love God, love people. To, to unite, me must be aware that that's the uniting forces. Loving God, loving people. But in order to, invite, to unite properly, we must become aware of what divides. We have to become aware of what divides because we are supposed to then resist anything that divides. We have an, a mandate from heaven to be one, so what we're going to have to do is resist what divides. Now, we need to be clear on this. If there is a division, it is demonic in its original creation. It is demonic in its original creation. Anything that divides. All right? So let's think about what divides. Strife. James 4, 1 to 4 tells us, says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And then you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss because you're all about your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship in the world, with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God and a divider in the body of Christ. Because Jesus said... Don't take them out of the world, but set them apart from the world. Remember that piece? All right. So what we have to understand that the war of strife does not start with conflict. The war of strife starts with personal selfishness. The war of strife is always about how I feel, what I want, what I need. Okay, um, there's a scripture in Proverbs 13. I didn't give up to him, but it says, when pride comes, so does strife. And we need to understand. So we're going to have to resist this strife thing. Okay, James 4, 1 in the Passion Translation says this. What is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you? as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desire. I didn't write that. <laughs> Go back just to verse 1. 
the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other. The battle begins inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desire. Does anybody say, oh, me? That's what it is. See, we have a war to have it our way. But if we're going to get it our way, that means we're not having it necessarily God's way. Amen? So we have to be able to resist strife. In fact, um, did I give you Romans 15, 1 and 2 in the Passion? Okay, let's go to those quick right here. Now, those who are mature in their faith can easily be recognized. For they don't live to please themselves, but have learned to patiently embrace others in their immaturity. Next verse. Our goal must be to empower others to do what is right and good for them and to bring them into spiritual maturity. See, our goal is not to have our way. Our goal is to help other people grow. Help other people mature. That's our goal. And um, I know this is, you know, this is not, this will not be one of the best sermons you've ever heard at Word of Victory that you're going to, my top 10. Remember that time we talked about unity in the body of Christ and I wanted to be mad at everybody on the same day? <laughs> I get it. But we have to get to the place that we're aware that our opinion may or may not count. We're talking about something bigger than ourselves here. We're talking about how the world sees Jesus. That's what we're talking about. So we have to avoid strife. In order to avoid strife, we have to resist selfishness. All right? Because selfishness is a divider. The next one, I want to go to John 6, 61. Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this. He said this to them, does this offend you? What has happened in the context of scripture, Jesus has made a comment, unless you drink my blood and eat my body, you have no part with me. And they all said, ooh, yick. What is he talking about? They didn't hear it spiritually. They heard it naturally. And they said, ooh, that's gross. Get away from him. And everybody left but 12. And he'd already fed thousands. He'd already fed thousands. And they all were buddy, buddy, happy. They all ate the same food. They all heard the same message. They all were in the same place. But then he said something that shook them, not because what he said was wrong, but simply because they didn't understand what he was saying and it caused them to get offended and they booked. They left. Sometimes you get offended because you don't understand is what Jesus is trying to tell us. You just don't understand, okay? And he says, does this offend you? And one of the things he said the disciples complained. You know what a complaint is? And a, a complaint is when you have an opinion that someone else opposes, so you have an, a complaint against them. They're doing something that's not in agreement with you. They're, they're thinking a way that's not in agreement with you. So you have a complaint. 
One way to, uh, to figure out if you got offense in your heart, offense always does this. Offense no longer esteems the value of one they're offended at. It no longer has value. And whether they did right or wrong isn't the point here. What you have to understand is even people that do wrong things to you, God still values. He still values. And so when you find in your perspective of someone that you don't value them as much as that you once did, then there's probably some offense lingering there. I don't have as much use for them as I once did. Okay? Well, avoid them, but don't be offended. Don't be offended. Don't let them, because what happens is when you're offended, you're giving a, 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 a place to a controlling spirit living on them towards you. Because you go to bed at night, you think about them. You get up in the morning, you think about them. You know, during the day, you think about them. You go to your prayer life, and all you can think about is them. That's a controlling spirit, and it's coming out of the fact that you're offended. Are you, are you catching this? I'm sorry if I'm boring you today. Okay. So offense is found where value is diminished. All right? So... We have to avoid strife, which comes out of selfishness. We got to avoid offense, which comes out of this complaining, opposition about someone else. Guys, we need to be strong enough in the Lord that people can make mistakes around us and it doesn't change our perspective of them. We need to be strong enough in the Lord that if they say the wrong thing, it washes off of us. If they do the wrong thing, it washes off of us. That we are willing. That leads us to the next thing. We have to be able to resist judgments and criticisms. You are not the perfect measurement. And everyone stacked up to you. Oh, snap. <laughs> you know, we just need to understand that. We're looking to do something big for Jesus. Amen. And we got to be united in the body. And so what we're doing is tearing out these things that would be resistant to unity. Um, and there's lots of scripture. I'm not going to go on to all of those, but I'm going to give you this phrase. Fault finding is easy. Fault forgiving, however, is required. It's easy to find a fault with somebody. Let's go to the Matthew 7 one. Can we do that? I'm skipping some. Judge not that you be not judged. Next one, very easy. What judgment you judge, you'll be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Let's just go to, um, you know, it talks about the speck and the plank, but let's go over to the passion one. I want to do it in the passion if we can skip down to that. Refuse to be a critic full of bias toward others, and judgment will not be passed on you. For you'll be judged by the same standard that you've used to judge others. The measurement you use on them will be used on you. Why would you focus on the flaw in someone else's life and yet fail to notice the glaring flaws of your own? How could you say to your friend, let me show you where you're wrong when you're guilty of even more? You're being hypercritical and a hypocrite. First, acknowledge your own blind spots and deal with them, and then you'll be capable of dealing with the blind spot of your friend. 
So he didn't say your friend didn't have a flaw. He didn't say he didn't have a speck. He's just saying, you better look at yourself first because no one wants you doing a surgical procedure on them when they can see what's wrong with you. <laughs> right? That's what the deal is. And he wants us to get rid of blind spots. Let me be clear about this. Everybody in the body of Christ wants to be loved. Everybody in the body of Christ wants to be accepted. Everybody in the body of Christ wants to be valued. And so there is no reason for us to hold someone at, for a fault they've done when we understand that they are in the same pursuit we are, love, acceptance, and value. Everyone is looking for that. So we could do more if we, if we recognize this. In fact, um, going to Proverbs 27, verse 21, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, and a man is valued by what others say of him. Now, if you look in your Bible, the words is valued is in italics, meaning it wasn't in the original text. So it would read like this. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold and a man by what others say of him. So when you look at this scripture, a refining pot cleans out the flaws in the silver. The furnace cleans out the flaws in the gold. And what others people say of you cleans out the flaws in you. Now, we have the scriptures in the New Testament says don't be critical, don't judge, don't find fault, all these kind of things. So it must not be that God is saying as you say negative things about each other, it'll clean us up. That's not what they're saying. I have noticed this though. I have noticed that when somebody says to me, now this is, this is, this is not actual this is hypothetical okay if someone says to me you always have the cutest shoes on the next time I know I'm gonna see that person one of the things I'm gonna think about is what shoes should I wear <laughs> right you understand what I mean if someone says to you you always seem to have the answer for any mechanical breakdowns of my car. So the next time someone comes to you, you're going to think, oh, I hope I have the answer. I hope I have the answer. I hope I have the answer. See, we live according to the high places of what others say of us. We live according to the high places of what others say of us. Not the low places. All the low places do is make us defensive, Offended, angry, retaliate, vengeance. Well, they don't know what they're talking. Now, we, now we've lost our unity. So that scripture there in Proverbs is supposed to be a uniting scripture, not a dividing scripture. If they say to you, you always got really great looking hair. The next time you're going out and about and you know you're going to see them, 
you'll take an extra moment on that hair. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you know that people absolutely love you, you don't do hard things to them because you don't want to break that. See, we live according to the high things that people say about us. Now, with that being said then, how many more high things could we be saying to help bring, to bring other people up? Because we are a refiner and a furnace for others by what we say of them. Hallelujah. This is about unity. This is about recognizing that we have an integral peace in the body of Christ. And I will tell you this, as a pastor, one person can go on a rampage and spoil 10 people in your church. Come on, one person in your family can divide the whole family. Is anybody related to any of that? One person can do a lot of damage, all right? So you have to understand, as a person, as an individual, you don't want to be caught damaging what the Lord's trying to put together. You don't want to be found separating what God is trying to unite. But instead, you're going to speak of those things, those high things that bring people up to a place of excellence. You bring them up to a place of excelling, of doing better, of creating more. And I resist this strife because that strife is just coming out of what I wanted. I resist being offended because I just got a complaint about you. I resist all these things. I stand against judgment and criticism. I'll allow you to make a mistake and grant you mercy because I'm going to need mercy myself. And I know that when I mess up, it probably is a bigger blunder than what you're going through right now. Your blunders are always bigger to you. How many of you in here are well aware of your weaknesses? A few. Praise the Lord. All right. Let me try it again. How many of you are aware of where your weaknesses are? Yeah. We know where they're at, don't we? You know, that we take, maybe we're too emotional. We wear our emotions on our sleeve and, and all like that, you know. And every time somebody looks at me cross-eyed and, you know, we can, we so easily can, um, we create things, realities that are non-existent with the way we think. We create realities that are non-existent just by the way we think. So we need to decide, I'm not creating a reality based on my emotion or my opinion or my desire I'm creating a reality that is in line with this word. And sometimes this word is cross-grained with what I'm feeling right now. But I choose the word. Amen? Hallelujah. With that being said then, I want to go ahead and we're going to partake together of the Lord's table today. So if the ushers will pass out the communion elements. Hallelujah. Because we want to be discerning of the Lord's body, as it says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Hallelujah. They might need a couple extra hands if anybody wants to help them out.
because, you know, it's now. <laughs> you got it, fellas? They're going to meet you on the other side. But we need to understand that in Jesus, in his final days, this was the most important thing to him. He didn't preach us about overcome. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead and pass it out. He didn't preach to them about overcoming the devil. He didn't preach to them about having faith in God. You stay up here with me. You stay up here. He preached to them, just be one. Just be one. Because the whole earth will know me if you can be one. And there is, I mean, what, I don't know how many people we have in here. But I'm telling you what. I could put one topic on the board. And at least we would have two varying opinions. More than likely, we'd have 10 to 20 varying opinions. Right? Just know that. And everyone that disagrees with you is not wrong. And everyone that doesn't see, see things your way is not wrong. However, why God wanted a body is because he needs a blend in order to get pure truth. He needs a blend. Um, very often we sit down with our staff or in a meeting and they lay some things out and we'll take a nugget from this one and a nugget from this one and a nugget from this one and get an answer. Right? And so we have to understand that we're drawing from the head. The whole body is drawing from the head. So I'm going to read this here. It says, I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, on the same night he prayed that prayer. On the same night he prayed that prayer. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's all today, right now, take this and remember, this is for his body. This is for his body. If we're in covenant with him and you're in covenant with him, together we're in covenant with each other. So we partake of the body. It goes on to say, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So let's partake of the drink. So now we have to understand that we are partaking together as the body of Christ, but the body joined to one another. That we are going to be earnest about resisting strife, resisting offense, and resisting judgment and criticism. Because how much the world is going to know Jesus is going to be determined, not by you just an individual, but how well do you walk with others? 
We always, we always had this phrase, how well do they play with others? Right? So, Father, in Jesus' name, we bow our hearts and we bow our heads to you. Father, we accept the commission of being the body of Christ. Father, we want to be the answer to Jesus' John 17 prayer, that we walk as one as you have called us to walk, that we resist division in any way. I thank you, Father, that you will abundantly supply us for everything we have need of. And I give you praise for drawing this up in our hearts and making aware of this in our minds. And I thank you and I praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. If you need prayer, we'll be up here to pray for you. Otherwise, you are dismissed as the body of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, head over to vimeo.com forward slash WO Victory or go to Jerry Roberts Ministry on Roku. For more information about who we are and what we do here at Order Victory, check out the website at wovictory.org. That's wovictory.org. See you there.